Well, with great joy, I get to tell you that we have a guest speaker today. His name is William Lucas. He grew up in this church, and um, ever since then, he uh, went on to college, went to seminary at Duke University, and has been ordained. He is currently serving as the associate at West University over in Houston, and um, he is here today not only because he is a great speaker and a good preacher, but also because his niece is being baptized at the next service. And so that's the big deal in his family today. And so we're delighted to have him. Won't you open your hearts and welcome him to your, your church this day. It is good to be back with y'all at Wesley, uh, to be back at my home church. I uh, told the first service that I, we joined Wesley when I was in the third grade. Um, and I was the last confirmation class at the Dallin Road campus, which for me doesn't feel that long ago. And then I saw Grayson Tucker up here and that freaked me out to see that he's now like seven feet tall. So I didn't think it had been that long, it's been that long. Uh, but I went on to A&M and then went to Duke, and from there, uh, my wife and I have been uh, appointed. Clergy spouses are also appointed, though they're not clergy. They are on the job as well to uh, Westview Methodist, which is right in the center of the 610 loop. Um, when you can't go any farther because you're stuck in traffic coming to the Galleria, you're close to my church. So there's no way out of our neighborhood because you're stuck in traffic all the time. Uh, we are just down the road from Rice University. That's the university in there. And I've been there, now this is my fifth year, um, and it is a joy to be there, but it is also one to be with you guys this morning. Uh, our, and I, Rick is right, I'll be baptizing my niece, Andrew's uh, little girl, at uh, the 1030 service. So when Rick asked me if I wouldn't mind, if, when I asked Rick and my family and all that got involved with baptizing Audrey, the trade-off was you then get to preach all three services. Um, my church only has two services, so we'll see if I can make it through 1030. After five years of only two, we'll see if my voice can hang in there. But our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah 60, uh, verses 1 through 6. If you've brought your Bible from home or have your handy-dandy iPhone in there with you, I hope you'll open up and follow along. I think it'll be on the screens behind me, which y'all have amazingly redecorated in here, by the way. This is so cool. Uh, listen now for the word of the Lord. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you, for darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall, not lift, shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around, they all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. This is the word of God. Would you, would you join me in a moment of silent prayer?
Oh Lord, may your word be proclaimed either through me or perhaps even in spite of me. Amen. When I was in college, I learned to play the game sardines with a group of friends from the Texas A&M Wesley Foundation. Uh, it's, it's a great game, if you've never played it before, that requires a big group of friends who gather in a large building that has a bunch of open rooms, and you turn all of the lights off in the building. In our case, we typically played this at A&M UMC, which was right next door and was a big old church building with three floors, so it gave us lots of places to hide, uh, because that's what you do. One person goes and hides while the rest of the group breaks up to try to find them. But here's the twist. Once you find them, you have to hide with them. So eventually, you have a dozen people all spilling out of a cabinet in a Sunday school classroom or a closet or some sort of weird bathroom. And so that pretty much ends the game because everyone starts to find everyone else because you've got all these college students lying on the floor trying to fit into a cabinet. But here's the catch for me. I really cannot stand the dark. I don't mind playing sardines, but you better believe I'm going to have a buddy with me. I'm not going to do this by myself. I am not going to wander some big old church building by myself in the dark. Not going to happen. This is why when I worked here, I used to work here as a custodian when I was in college. Uh, I really didn't like being in this building by myself either. This place, just like the church that I serve in Houston, is creepy in the dark. This gym is definitely, hands down, the creepiest place in the dark. The hair in the back of your neck starts to stand up. You get a cold sweat. You start to hear sounds and voices behind you. And the next thing you know, you're running out those doors right there like a complete idiot. I am so glad this church does not have security cameras like mine does. Because then you have proof of what I'm telling you. But perhaps my uh, dislike of the dark is why this passage from Isaiah has always kind of stuck with me. In this portion of his book, Isaiah's message is changing. You see, early on, he foretold a great disaster would come upon Israel and Judah. They, you see, they had been unfaithful to God. They had turned their backs on him and on his covenant with them. They had begun to worship idols and even claimed that those idols are the God of Abraham. So Isaiah says God's done with this. He is furious. And now they must suffer the consequences of their actions for their sins. Of course, Isaiah's prophecy does in fact come true. For those of you who studied biblical history, you'll know that first in 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire comes out of Syria and that area of the Middle East and descends on northern Israel with its ten tribes. This northern kingdom is, is completely decimated. Everything is destroyed. Total scorched earth policy. And the bulk of these ten tribes are hauled away into exile, never to be heard from again. This leaves Judah, the southern kingdom, all by itself. 
But even Judah does not escape punishment because just a little while later in 586 B.C., the Babylonian Empire, the new power players in the Middle East, cross the Jordan River and destroy everything. They burn everything, including Solomon's great temple, to the ground. They smash Jerusalem's walls. They take the sacred vessels from the temple and take them back with them. And the final two tribes are also taken into exile, into modern-day Iraq, to live among the Babylonians in a foreign land they did not know. This looks to be the end of God's people. The promises made to Israel, the covenant God made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David, all of that seems lost now. This is perhaps the darkest moment of their lives. God seems to have turned his back on his people, the God of their ancestors who gave them the land and kept them safe, who spoke to them through the prophets. God is now distant and quiet. The light has gone out of their world. But Isaiah's message begins to change just a few chapters before what I just read. You see, Isaiah says that God has a new message for his people. The people turned away from God and ignored the covenant, but God never turned away from them. God remembers the promises he made to Abraham and Sarah, and God is going to do a great thing. He's going to do a new thing, an amazing thing. He is going to bring his people home. This brings us to Isaiah 60 that I just read. God gives Isaiah a powerful word to speak to his people. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Judah, your darkest night, your long hardship, your exile is over. The Lord, your Redeemer, has arrived. The presence of God will surround you. And you will see his glory as you go home. For a people who felt abandoned, lost, alone in the darkness of exile, this must have been the most amazing news. Our God, our hope has not abandoned us. He is with us and we get to go home. The first rays of light, the first feeling of joy in decades dawns on God's people. But I want us to fast forward some 500 years now. And while the darkness of exile for Israel has been banished, they still know the darkness that comes from an invading army setting up shop in your capital. Because the Babylonians were eventually replaced by the Greeks, and the Greeks eventually by the Romans. They're controlling Israel in Jesus' day. This darkness, this political darkness, though, is just one thing. But there is another kind of darkness that we really need to talk about. This is a deep darkness that covers the whole world, that it has trapped not just Israel, but the whole world. Isaiah talks about this. He says, For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and the glory will appear over you. Light has shined on Israel, and they got to go home. But darkness is still covering the earth. This is a darkness that comes from the reign of sin and evil, of broken lives and relationships, of death and oppression, of hardship and injustice. This is the world into which the Lord's glory appears. 
into this darkness enters the true light, but not with the flash of the sun and the descent of angel armies. No, the glory of the Lord appears in a manger, and a bright star shines out in the sky. Dawn has arrived. The Redeemer of the world has stepped into the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome him. This light pierces the darkness and brings it into the exile, not just for the Jews that they experienced in Babylon, but this exile the whole of creation has been living in since Adam and Eve had us tossed from the garden. This light, this baby in the manger is named Jesus, and he is God in the flesh. And he has come to be the light that leads us home, to, re to, to rest in the arms of our God, to take our rightful place as God's children. God doesn't want to see his children wandering alone in the darkness, in exile, trapped by sin. So he sends his son. He sends a light to scatter the darkness and to lead us back to him. But of course, Jesus' birth was just the start. When he is born, we say that the light has come, and we celebrate the star that rose that brought the shepherds and the wise men to his side. But I want us to fast forward again, another 30 years, and we see that, that baby has grown up. He is now on a hill, nailed to a cross, radiating God's glory for all the world to see. He is shining in such a way that the evil powers of this world trembled. And then three days later, that light steps out of a tomb and shined forth again, ending the reign of sin and evil. The long, dark night that held all of creation in its grips finally faltered and fell. This is Isaiah's prophecy ultimately fulfilled. And this amazing piece of good news that the light has come is still good news because he still shines today in this new decade. Piercing the darkness that once pierced him and bringing God's children home from a life of exile. But I know, I know from being in ministry and just being a normal person, that there are still times in our lives when the light of Christ seems so very distant and we feel trapped in the dark alone and lost for some of you it was when you battled depression or another form of mental illness for others it was after you buried a child a spouse a loved one a parent maybe it was seeing your possessions on the curb after yet another blood. Maybe it was when something you had dedicated your whole life to, uh, uh, your job, a marriage, came crashing down around you. Or perhaps it was sitting in a doctor's office and hearing the word cancer. Darkness creeps in. Other times it may not be a personal experience, but it may come from looking at social media. You look at these perfect pictures of your friends that they post online, their children, their homes, their careers, their marriages, their vacations. Everything seems so good. 
so perfect. What made them so lucky? You'll never be as good as them. You feel like a total failure, and darkness creeps in. Perhaps just watching the news makes you feel this way. Opioid addiction, sex trafficking, racism, political chaos, famine, war, lies, heartbreak. The list goes on and on and on. This world must be a total loss, you think. And darkness creeps in again. That's because darkness always tries to creep back in, to surround us, to trap us. And before you know it, we are like the Israelites living in a land that we never knew. Feeling like God has abandoned you. This is exile. But hope. Hope has arrived. The light of the world has come. He is God in the flesh, the true light, our Savior, who died and rose again. He has defeated the powers of darkness on the cross. Yes, there are days when we will feel like darkness and exile, the only things we will ever know. But that is when hope comes through the strongest, when light shines the brightest, because this is when God's unfailing love pushes us, you and me, the church, people who have received the light into the forefront as followers of Jesus, as children of God. The glory of God has risen on us. We are bearers of God's light. So when our friends or family or neighbors grieve or face hardships or feel just completely trapped, We are the ones God has called and equipped and empowered to be the light, to sit with them, to be with them, to tell them that they are not alone in the dark. When racism or injustice or chaos or any number of things seem to reign, it is the church that God puts forward to be the spark that lights the night, the light that resists the darkness and tells the world that no matter how dark it seems, dawn has arrived, darkness has fallen. You know, I remember as a kid, one summer my brother and I flew to Florida to spend some time with my grandparents. One morning my granddad got us up way earlier than necessary and took us down to Hope Sound or Hutchinson Island, which was near where they lived, to go fishing. We were going to stand on the beach and go fishing. Now, at this point, though, we're standing in the water, our knees at least deep, um, and the sun has not come up yet. We're fishing and standing there, mainly in the moonlight. But then as we stood there, uh, there was a gradual reddening of the sky in front of us, And that red got brighter and brighter and brighter until in just a few moments, the top of the sun came up over the horizon. And I watched as the sun lit the entire eastern seaboard of the United States. It was probably the most amazing thing I had ever seen. And there the three of us were, just fishing. I'll never forget that. But then, in 2017, my grandfather passed away, and it seemed like darkness had fallen on all of us. And then, this year, saying goodbye to my grandmother, just two days before Christmas, it seemed like the darkness only got deeper. But this morning, 
at the next service, when I see my niece, Audrey, wearing my grandfather's, her great-grandfather's baptismal gown, a gown that my brother and I both wore, a gown that my great-grandfather, Audrey's great-great-grandfather, also wore over a hundred years ago, I will be reminded of something essential for all disciples. I will be reminded of these dark journeys of exile that we sometimes find ourselves on are only temporary because the light of the world has come and shines through the ages, one generation after another, unfailing, no matter what we could ever face. So because of that, this morning, rather than darkness, I can see that sunrise over the Atlantic once again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.